It is the 200 level episode 170, as of yet untitled, and not because I'm sitting here at halftime of the game. I just don't know what to call this episode. My mind is a bit jumbled after what we saw on, God, was that Tuesday night? It's hard to really keep track because that game was surreal. And as I said during that podcast with Isaac and Trevor, I was already in a weird kind of state. It was about 36, 30 hours after I had gotten the first vaccine. So I didn't really have any major side effects, but a little bit of achiness and fatigue and just sort of, you know, slap happy, right? Not 100%. So the game starts, and within the first couple minutes, Trent Frazier picks up a technical, and as I'm texting with Trevor and Isaac, we are all in the same boat, which is, oh my God, it's going to be one of those. And little did we know, not only would it be one of those games where the officiating was infuriating and the pace was terrible and there was no flow, but that we would be doing it for almost three hours. I finally got to sleep around one o'clock on Tuesday. I guess that would have been Wednesday morning by that point. And it's okay. Listen, when they win, I am so happy the next day to be in that sort of, you know, half awake state, but basking in the glow of a big victory. And that's where we were on Wednesday morning. Illinois is eight and three. They are in control of their own destiny for the most part in this Big Ten title race. And we'll get into how Michigan and everything in flux with them right now may make it interesting if Illinois can just play the rest of their games here. But it was a huge win on so many fronts and clearly not one for style points, but one that I think if we look back on certain wins this year, the Iowa one is going to stick out, I guess at Duke for the novelty of it, even though who knows how good they are. But for as ugly as that game was on Tuesday night, to get out of Bloomington with a win, given those circumstances, is pretty remarkable. And that's what we'll talk about today, along with looking forward to everyone's favorite basketball or everyone's favorite brand of basketball, Wisconsin basketball, which as excited as I am to potentially beat them on Saturday, I always dread playing Wisconsin because you know that the individual talent isn't going to blow you off the court and that they're pretty good, right? Yet the sum is always greater than the individual parts. And that's great. That's cute. I wish that Illinois could have had the same amount of success that Wisconsin did the last 20 years, but it's infuriating nonetheless when you got guys like Brad Davison on the court that you just wish would go away. But you know what? That makes it fun, and it makes it that much more fun if you can somehow beat them. And it's a great opportunity Saturday to potentially vault yourself, not just top 10, but given all the teams in the top 15 that have lost this week, Illinois could find themselves pretty high up in the single digits if they get that win Saturday. So there's a lot on the table to see that this team is looking at maybe a two seed in the NCAA tournament. Holy crap. And the Indiana game goes a long way in doing that, solidifying that, okay, you aren't going to have what would maybe be considered a bad loss, even though I think you could have gotten over the Indiana thing. But it keeps you in the Big Ten title conversation. It keeps you moving up the Ken Palm and the net rankings. And that is a win that will remain a quad one win because it was on the road. So before we get too deep into this, got to remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Use coupon code MIKE for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. Now, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, and if you've seen the forecast coming up this week, you'll want to stay home, and they will bring you a piping hot calzone, maybe Saturday for lunch before the Illinois-Wisconsin game or a celebratory calzone after Illinois beats Wisconsin Saturday. You can use coupon code MIKE for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. 
Brian has you covered. And speaking from experience, not only do you get great State Farm prices, you get personalized service from Brian and his staff. They're all from East Central Illinois, so they have your local interest at heart. Go online to brianismyguy.com for State Farm agent Brian Hansen brianismyguy.com. Got to thank a new sponsor, Rector Construction. They are the reliable roofing, construction, and remodeling company in central Illinois. Giving back to the community, that's key to their mission. And their main desire is to help better Champaign County. These guys have been around for a while and they're terrific. Uh, And this is the year to have your roof replaced and maybe even your crawl space inspected. Give them a call. 217-281-7000. That's 217-281-7000. Or visit Rector Construction. That's R-E-C-T-O-R Construction.com for a free estimate. Finally, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Kirby.com. Vintage-inspired Alani Apparel. Just use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at 4th and Kirby.com. Get your lucky shirt. And wait, whatever you've been wearing the last couple games, keep that going. But you may want a lucky shirt in your closet in case Illinois drops a game. Oh, God, God forbid against Wisconsin or any other game this year. You got to switch it up sometimes. And they have so many great t-shirt and sweatshirt options at 4thandkirby.com. Illini Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Quick reminder, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's huge for us to find a new audience as they look for Illini Podcast to add to their rotation. We got a nice review on Apple Podcasts just a couple days ago. And they said they found us on Illini Inquirer, and they really enjoy listening to the show. And it said, you know, and I haven't heard Carp go into that political stuff that a lot of people complain about. Not yet. Well, it's been a couple weeks, I guess. And you know what? I don't plan to do that unless I feel compelled to do so. And I, I want to really emphasize that when I ventured into that territory, I felt it was like really important. I do not fancy myself a political commentator, but sometimes politics intersect with life and I just felt compelled to address it and maybe sloppily so. But for the most part, especially as we sit here in early February and we get ready for an NCAA tournament run and an Illinois basketball team that maybe is finding their stride here late, I don't know how much we're going to go down that rabbit hole. That might be further down the road, and hopefully not at all. I'm happy to be blissfully uh, unaware of every in and out of what's going on in Washington. I I know that sounds bad, right? That sounds almost like lazy. What kind of citizen is going to be blissfully unaware and okay with that? But um, yeah, I'm okay to take a break from it, and I'm pretty sure you guys are too. So let's talk about Thursday, sorry, Tuesday night, as this week, all the days are kind of getting jumbled together. And what was one of the more bizarre game-watching experiences that I've had? And in trying to think, I was trying to scan my memory for games that were impacted by officiating, the easy answer would be going back to the Elite Eight game in 2001. And that one stung, as it should. And I need to look up the total number of fouls called, and maybe I'll do that real quick here on my computer. But it was more than 54, I can tell you that. And it cost Illinois a chance at a Final Four appearance. Now, I need to look at this box score, and I'm guessing here before I look at it, I'm going to say 63 fouls were called. As I go to sportsreference.com, the total number of fouls called, 36 on Illinois, 23 on Arizona. You want to guess how many Illinois guys fouled out that game? You guessed it, five. Serge, Marcus Griffin, Brian Cook, Robert Archibald, Lucas Johnson, 36 fouls. You lost by six. Uh, You were trailing by four at halftime, 34 to 30. Second half, you hung in there. Pretty sure that Nate Mast even got, well, he played one minute, but by the end of it, you were essentially playing Corey 
Frank, Sean Harrington, Nate Mast, and my God, Brett Melton. He got a minute. Yeah, well, Illinois got screwed in that game, and they damn near got screwed on Tuesday night. Though I will say the officiating truly was bad both ways, and I think Indiana fans acknowledge that. And regardless of who won that game, I think there would have been this weird shared acknowledgement from Illinois and Indiana fan bases that, man, that was a really poorly officiated game. But it is so much better to talk about that sort of thing after a win, because if Illinois had lost that game, they didn't do themselves many favors. It was a B-minus effort from Illinois. And I say B minus, I could go worse than that, but I really think there were external factors that kept Illinois from getting into any sort of rhythm, but they didn't help themselves. Iowa was not good on Tuesday night, really inefficient offensively. And then you look at Kofi, not good in the first half again, though he really came up big in the second half. Some puzzling rotation choices. You saw that Grandison didn't play quite as much as he had before, and it seemed odd. We even thought as we were doing the podcast, is he hurt? Something like that. But when all is said and done, you got to win against all odds with Trent Frazier kind of turning back into the freshman, sophomore year Trent Frazier in terms of his offense and really being, I guess, the spiritual leader on this team. That might sound a bit corny, but I think there's some truth to it. DeMonte with some really big minutes down the stretch doing those DeMonte things, the glue guy stuff that we're accustomed to. Grandison got back in the game. He looked good when he was out there. And then Andre Curbelo and Kofi. And Andre Corbello was really, aside from Trent Frazier, the difference maker in that game. When he was on the court, Illinois was so much better. And it reminded me a lot of those games in late December, early January, where they were just a different team with Corbello on the court. And I said during the game on Tuesday, if Corbello can avoid fouling out, Illinois will win this game. Now, I did not anticipate that that would mean that Io and Georgie would foul out instead. But I thought if Andre Corbello was on the court, you're going to win this thing. And you did. The other thing that I thought as that game was going on and trying to convince myself to stay positive about it was that Indiana's a pretty dumb team. And boy, are they a dumb team. They aren't good. They aren't bad. They're just kind of there. They got nice pieces. Their defense is fine. Their offense can go through long periods where they just kind of stink as it did towards the end of the game. Though I think Illinois had a lot to do with that. If you were an Indiana fan, you would feel like you're in purgatory right now because It doesn't appear to be getting any better with Archie Miller. You got these nice pieces, and you think, well, this should coalesce into something better than what we have, but it's not. And it's kind of like what Nebraska football is now. They are kind of hanging on to past memories of when they were really good, when they were blue blood, and now they're just whatever. No one's scared of Indiana basketball. They're going to get a few more wins this year, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they get in the tournament because the Big Ten's going to send probably 10 teams into the thing. But... It's just whatever, and I'll take Indiana as close as these games have been. I'll continue playing them because I figure at this point, the way the last three games have gone, they will find a way to lose, and it's so reminiscent of the John Gross era here where it felt like when push came to shove, Illinois was going to find a way to maybe lose that game. I think Indiana fans probably can relate to that now under Archie Miller, and he's not doing himself any favors. He, you know, When he's losing, I think we start to kind of pick out all these different foibles with his appearance and his histrionics on the sideline. He just looks kind of weak and not in control of what's going on. And I don't think he conjures that back. So Indiana basketball as a whole, they might be in some trouble here. Illinois basketball, they aren't. Thank goodness. And the win on Tuesday, 
and what it means going forward. You know, listen, I've played this game before. I thought that the win at Penn State before Christmas, ah, that's the turning point. You were down 19-4, to then you had a great 36 minutes. I thought the second half against Northwestern, ah, that's the turning point. And they weren't. This team then struggled in periods after those games. But I feel like this is the kind of win following up a marquee win against Iowa. It's the kind of win that is a character builder and the kind of win that can really propel a team like this into a prolonged stretch where they win game after game after game. Now, you can look to last year in the run in January or the five out of six to close out the regular season and see that Brad Underwood's teams, and you can go back to his uh, second year when they won, I think, four out of five games in February, despite setting the single season loss record. They have this ability to go on a heater. And I think it's about to start, or it has started, I should say. Penn State, Iowa, Indiana, and then Saturday against Wisconsin. Now, of course, with Wisconsin being who they are, I'm going to be nervous. I like that we don't have to wait too long. I like the 130 tip-off where we don't need to stew in our anxiety for hour after hour. And that by 330, we'll either be able to celebrate a big Illinois win, and it would be big. Listen, it's Wisconsin. They're still a pesky team, if not great. And it would be yet another quad one win for this Illinois team, and that would be the most of any team in the nation. So they're putting themselves in that conversation for a two, potentially one seed. And if they go on a heater right now, similar to the kinds that they did last year, you're looking potentially at a one seed. Now, what complicates that is the mess at Michigan. The Illinois-Michigan game, it sounds like that is not going to happen next Thursday. Not because Michigan's going to have positive COVID cases, but because they're coming out of this two-week nothingness, right? They stopped everything. And they are going to wait until the Rutgers game at home, apparently on February 18th, to play again. Now, if I look at their schedule, I'm pretty sure that that is five, maybe six games that they will miss. And it's difficult to imagine them getting all those games made up, which leads to the question, will the Big Ten alter what it takes to win a Big Ten championship? So far, Michigan has missed at Penn State on January 9th. So that's one. Indiana at Northwestern, Illinois, Wisconsin, that'll be five if they get back in time for the Rutgers game. Apologies for Rosie barking there. Must be the mailman. But that's five games, and it's difficult to imagine them making up maybe more than one of those if all goes well. And if that's the case, that is at least four games that they will not have played. Meanwhile, Illinois is looking at a situation where maybe they only have two games to make up in Nebraska and Michigan State, neither of which, mind you, Illinois was the reason for those games getting postponed. Now, in a pandemic, are we going to really assign blame and say, well, Michigan, it's your fault that there was a breakout on campus? No, because that would probably not be the ethical, moral thing to do. It's a pandemic. These things happen. Even if you do everything right, there could be an outbreak. There could be an outbreak here at Illinois. But, and this is going to sound really kind of cheap of me, if you present to me a scenario where Illinois, let's say, finishes, let's say they play 18 Big Ten games, and they finish, I'll say 14-4. and four. I actually think they're only going to lose one other game this year. I think they'll lose one of the games at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, to finish 14-4, and four, presuming they don't play Michigan, okay? And let's say Michigan then, on the other hand, they get their games back, but they only play 15, and they finish 12-3. and 12-3 Michigan, 14-4 and four Illinois. Can we award co-champs, you know? Are we not going to award a champion at all? That would kind of suck. I think you should. 
Uh, does Michigan get disqualified because they didn't play 80% of their Big Ten games? I don't know. But these are conversations the conference needs to have now, and it sounds cheap of me to think, okay, how can we angle our way into a Big Ten title? I've, I've spoken so much about how I want to hang a banner, right? How badly I want to hang a banner when all said and done this year. And if that's what it takes, I'm not going to put an asterisk by it if this Illinois team finishes 14-4, and four, or maybe even a 13-5 and five if they get these 18 games in. Now, what I think might be the more likely scenario is that Michigan will inevitably play a couple fewer games than Illinois, but if there is a reschedule for that last week of the season where you have everybody's schedule open from a Saturday through the next Saturday, that the Big Ten will make sure Illinois and Michigan play. And that will be the de facto Big Ten title game. And it will be in Ann Arbor. And Michigan will still play a couple less games. And if Illinois loses, we'll be thinking, well, if we would have played him here and listen, you know, dims to breaks in a pandemic year. And I think that that would be something you just got to kind of go with. But it's a weird position for the likes of Illinois and Iowa. I guess Wisconsin's still in it as well. And I feel like I'm missing somebody. I would have said Purdue, but oh no, Ohio State, they're in it as well where they are looking at a Michigan team that is essentially going to have a month off. Now, Nebraska, they've been off for God knows how long, and who cares? It, it doesn't matter. But on the flip side, it would have been nice to have played them if you're Illinois to get that extra win. Presumably, that's what would have happened. But if we're talking about scheduling breaks and looking at what Michigan would have had had there not been a COVID breakout up in Ann Arbor, they would have played Indiana at home, win, and at Northwestern, win. So, so far, they missed two gimmies. And then at Penn State on January 9th, let's say they would have won that as well. And then they just stretched their lead out in the conference. So I'm not going to play the world's smallest violin as an Illini fan and say, well, what a bad break. Michigan's going to waltz their way into a Big Ten title. They've earned it so far, uh, despite a bit of an easier schedule. And Illinois has their own slip-ups. Or if you would have beaten Maryland, I don't think we're having this conversation right now and thinking, well, can we angle our way in there? Ideally, though, you get most of these games made up. It's not going to be perfect, and not every game is going to be made up, certainly. But you get enough of them to feel like you have a true champion in the conference. And I would love, at the end of the day, for Illinois to at least get a share of that championship this year. And as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, and I, I want to repeat this, as a prediction, prognostication, whatever word you want to throw with it, Illinois loses one more regular season game this year. That's it. I'm going with that. Before the Big Ten tournament, which, by the way, is moved to Indianapolis, that makes sense. Before that, in the NCAA tournament, Illinois loses one more conference game, and that's it. To finish 14-4, and four, and then maybe you give me a makeup against Nebraska, Michigan State, or Michigan. That would change my calculation. But as the schedule sits in front of them, one more loss. Yes, that means they win Saturday against Wisconsin. That means they win at Minnesota. That means they beat Northwestern and Nebraska at home. And they split presumably between at Ohio State and at Wisconsin. Though I'd love for them to keep rolling here so you can get to a situation like that and not say, oh, we got to win at Columbus and at Madison to win a Big Ten title. Look at me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking Big Ten title again. Good Lord. As if I haven't learned. But that's what a win like Tuesday night will do. You know, it wasn't the prettiest, and yet you won the game where you didn't play all that well. And that wasn't the case for a Maryland game. What I would give to go back maybe and, and change the result of that and eke out a victory despite not playing a good game. Well, you didn't play all that well Tuesday. You got the win, and you got it with Io on the bench for the last seven minutes of game time. That's pretty impressive. As we look forward to the NCAA tournament, the Big Ten tournament, which 
if I'm being honest with you, I think they should just cancel that thing and use the extra week to make up more of these regular season games. The, the idea of a Big Ten tournament just seems sort of who cares at this point, apart from the fact it might get you an automatic bid from one of the bad teams. But listen, the Big Ten's getting 10 or 11 teams in this thing anyways. Do we need to get greedy? Do we really need this Big Ten tournament? I would just recommend elongate the regular season, get most of these games in. Uh, but we'll see, though, because I'm sure that there are TV deals and, and money still changing hands here, despite the fact that no one can actually go see the games. Uh, it's probably easier said than done. But man, is it nice to sit here on February 4th and start talking best case scenario again, where a week ago, a week ago today, I did a podcast, which was like, okay, I think they're going to beat Iowa. I do. But trust me, in the back of my head, there was still that what if. What if they don't? Well, they did. Another what if we played was these next four games, Iowa at Indiana, Wisconsin at home, and Michigan. In that four-game stretch, can you go three and one? Can you go four and oh? Well, three and one certainly on the table. Three and oh, presuming the Michigan game doesn't happen, is very certainly on the table. And that is approaching best case scenario territory for a team that is sort of figuring out what they are. And the most encouraging thing, listen, the offense is what it is. It's top 10 nationally. Ken Palm, it is a very efficient offense, even though I know we have moments where we think, ah, God, they're a little bit sloppy. And that sloppiness and the turnovers, unfortunately, that's probably not going to change at this point, but they score. So the question is, can this team play consistent defense? And when pushes come to shove in these Iowa and Indiana games, man, have they tightened up. They have closed these games out. And if you look at how few points Iowa scored in the last five minutes of that game, if you look at how few points Indiana scored in the last 10 minutes, regulation and overtime of that game Tuesday night, that is a defense that's tightening up and making it very hard for the opponent to score late. I think it bodes well for a game like Wisconsin, an offense that has had their own struggles, despite rebounding a little bit better against Penn State earlier this week. That is a team offensively that can go in these cold stretches, which I think means that's a favorable matchup on Saturday. We'll see, right? Oh, God, it's so easy. I, if we have to come here on Sunday or Monday and talk about losing to Wisconsin, that will be very deflating. I don't want to lose to Brad Davison and Nate Reavers and Micah Potter and the endless parade of Wisconsin basketball prototypes that they grow in a lab and they seemingly are never ending with their crew cut haircuts and they're just bland personalities and their stupid jerseys that look like amateur hour. I'm done with Wisconsin as a whole. I mean, their athletic program because it's not cute anymore and I'm tired of losing to them and I would love to get a nice little two game win streak dating back to last year at the Kohl Center. I want to beat them again and then I want to beat them again when we play at the Kohl Center. I am done with Wisconsin. I think most Big Ten fans are, and I would love to think that we can continue adding to, at least in Wisconsin's perspective, a downward slide towards the, what, fifth spot in the Big Ten, fifth or sixth, as opposed to top four, which seems to be a birthright for Wisconsin basketball anymore. I just realized as I said all that, boy, Saturday, unless it's like the prettiest game that Illinois has played all year and they lead throughout, I'm going to be a ball of nervous energy on Saturday, because I don't want to lose to them. I really don't. Kind of like the Ohio State thing has E.J. Liddell. So I don't want to lose E.J. Liddell and be reminded what could have been. But for Wisconsin, it goes almost deeper than that, because it's been 20 years of just leave, go away. You're annoying. No one likes you. Because really, if you aren't a Wisconsin fan, who likes Wisconsin? Meanwhile, I do wonder, if you're a Big Ten fan, like let's say you're an Indiana fan, 
do you hate this Illinois team or do you hate this Illinois program? Is Illinois hateable? And in trying to think of guys we've had that would be, you know, annoying pest for other teams, does Illinois have that? Easy for me to say, no, we don't. We're all cool and everybody likes the Illinois guys. But looking at this team, I could see why Georgie would be maybe annoying for some and maybe DeMonte because he's the glue guy and listen, he takes charges and things like that. But I mean, have we ever had a Brad Davison? You could say Lucas Johnson, I get it. But other than Lucas Johnson, have we ever had a Brad Davison type? I don't think so. And then just this endless parade of gritty basketball players. I, I hate it. All right. I'm, I'm belaboring the point here. Beat Wisconsin, and they will. One more regular season loss in the Big Ten. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. A couple more things today. Lovey Smith, I, I had to address this uh, before I mentioned the good news here with Brett Bielema, who had a press conference yesterday and continues to knock it out of the park. And boy, is he uh, friendly with the media and he's got a good coaching staff. And even though the signing day brought the worst class in the Big Ten, you kept the guys that were there and you still have room for a few more transfers in addition to all the seniors coming back. So again, the first 45, 50 days of the Brett Bielema era, Thumbs up, B plus to an A level, and I'm excited to see what happens this fall. Now, I will mention Lovey Smith one final time in this podcast. I think this will be it. I think this will be it. Lovey is the defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans. Guess who's the linebackers coach? Miles Smith. Of course he is. Now, it is easy and perhaps irresponsible to throw out the term nepotism. We did that when Ryan Cubitt got a position under Bill Cubitt here. And we certainly did it when Miles, I about said Miles Davis, geez, <laughs> no offense, Miles Smith, but you got a ways to go to reach Miles Davis level. Miles Smith becoming the linebackers coach here. And then finding out after Lovey leaves that, you know, Jay Lehman had put his hat in the ring. He wasn't a coach himself, but I'm, I'm sorry, more qualified to be the linebackers coach at Illinois than Miles freaking Smith, who didn't do anything for you. Jake Hansen, good player. Was it because of Miles Smith? For some, some reason or another, I doubt it. Recruiting, did he do anything for you? Not that I know of, but not that Lovey did either. I want to be very clear about the Lovey narrative, and I don't think I've seen too much of this since Lovey's left. When he was here, you would see people often bend over backwards to talk about what a great guy he was. High character Lovey. He has reinstilled this sense of pride and respect in Illinois football. And I feel like that is just awarding something to someone that didn't accomplish anything tangible. Here's my point. When Tim Beckman was here, we talked about the graduation rate. Okay, that's fine. Um, but that's kind of a low bar. It's the University of Illinois. I hope these guys are graduating. At the end of the day, the football program sucked. So when we start talking about Lovey's character, it's because we have nothing else to say about him that's positive. And the character thing, I think, is a little bit overblown as well. I'm not going to sit here and call Lovey a bad guy. But for the way that he would talk to the media for the way that he didn't care to interact with anyone in this community, and the way that we're going to look back on the Lovey era and think, what the hell was that? Clearly, his character didn't endear himself to the community or even some of his own players, who most of, the, most of them decided to stay, which tells you a little bit of something. Let's just stop with the whole Lovey's an amazing guy thing. He's not the time man of the year. He's not going to win a Nobel Peace Prize. He's a football coach that may not be a total jerk all the time, but that's a pretty low bar. I, I just hope that we don't, in this sort of revisionist history style, try to award him these character points, which may or may not be legit. 
He's fine. He's a decent guy. He's not a bad guy. Okay, move on. Like that alone is not going to make me think, you know what? The Levy era wasn't so bad. At the end of the day, we got fleeced financially. We got fleeced, bamboozled, tricked into paying Miles Smith hundreds of thousands of dollars to be a linebacker's coach and do who knows what. Certainly not recruit worth a damn. And now this guy, through, yes, you guessed it, nepotism, is going to be an NFL position coach. Imagine being an NFL linebacker and taking direction from Miles Smith. That's going to go well. So Houston Texans fans, whoever you may be listening to this podcast, have fun with this. It is remarkable that Lovey is going to grift, for lack of a better word, this much more money out of a defensive scheme that just frankly doesn't work anymore and then get his son involved and let his son move up the ranks. And maybe, maybe there's some merit to it. Maybe Miles Smith is a sneaky good linebackers coach. Maybe. But I doubt it. And uh, sorry if this is just maybe sour grapes on my part, but <laughs> man, the Lovey Smith thing just sucks so bad. And no problem. Now he's a D coordinator in the NFL. For what? I, I don't even know. Now, listen, the NFL is very much a league of retreads. You continue to see these guys get opportunities, and you're thinking, why? You know, well, what have they done lately? You know, a guy like Jack Del Rio seemed to never-ending be this place or another or that place or another. S- Steve Spagnolo, all these names, and it, you see them time after time get a coordinating gig here or a coordinating gig there, and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And Lovey gets one more shot in the NFL. I'm not rooting against him. But it just seems like, uh, I don't know. Lovey, credit to you, my friend. Credit to you. You're making a lot of money. Miles is going to make a lot of money. And maybe this is just what he needs to get his career going and uh, to become an NFL position coach for a long time. Miles Smith, future D coordinator in the NFL. Not. That's not going to happen. One more thing I wanted to address before we get out of here, and you know, not to bring you more and more optimism, but... Illinois women's basketball, and we've never really talked about it on this show, and we didn't talk about it much at 93.5 back in the day, and I think a big reason for that is that there's just not a lot of public interest in it. I can go back to the Teresa Grintz era, and there was a three, four-year period where legit, Illinois women's basketball was a pretty hot ticket. Huff Hall was a great home environment. A lot of things changed. It felt like when they moved from Huff Hall to the Assembly Hall, there was the Allison Curtin era, and then she transferred out. And things just kind of fizzled under Teresa Grenz. Then he went to Jolette Law and then Matt Bolant. And now you have Nancy Faye. Hashtag fight with Faye. Now, I'm looking at the standings and I see that Illinois is 0-9 and they are 2-10 overall. They have two wins this year and those two wins are against, let's see here. All right, Indiana State and Nebraska-Omaha. So they started 2-1, and and then they have not won a game since. A few postponements here and there. They play Michigan State tonight at 7 o'clock. And, you know, you want to tread lightly when talking about this because this is not at all going to be a conversation about, you know, women's basketball versus men's basketball. This is going to be about the weird dynamic of a college athletic department where women's basketball for the last 20 years has clearly not been a priority. And because of that, any sort of local interest has evaporated. It's basically at a zero right now. If you were to ask the casual person in town, who's the women's basketball coach, they couldn't tell you. Teresa Grenzera, they could have. So you see that it can be done here. It just takes the right kind of figure to do so. But the longer and longer this goes, you are just looking at a women's basketball program that is dead. And 
it might be very difficult to resurrect this into anything sort of meaningful. Now, I can't sit here and say that I've ever lost sleep over it. I do remember distinctly going to the games back when Ashley Berggren was on the team and they made a Sweet 16 and I don't know if they won a Big Ten title, but they were really good for a bit. There was even a Sunday game at the Assembly Hall against Purdue and I think they gave out free tickets, but they got almost a sellout. So nearly 16,000 people to see an Illinois women's basketball game. There was legit interest in town and it was a lot of fun. It was good basketball. And the longer this thing drags out, if this were a program that people cared about, Nancy Faye would not still be the head coach. But for Josh Whitman, you're looking at a program that's probably not making you any money and no one's really paying any attention to it. So do you just let this thing ride year after year? Or do we fire Nancy Faye, go get someone else, and then they just stink for another four or five years, then we rinse and repeat? Uh, it, it's just a weird dynamic between a lack of interest that so there's not going to be this outcry when Nancy Faye is really, really bad at her job. Or at least, I should say, the results are not there at all. They stink. And you had your best player transfer out last year, and recruiting-wise, who even knows, right? And at what point do you, as the athletic director, say, okay, well, we need to actually make a concerted effort here and do something for this? Is it a revenue sport? No. Um, but I think if you got a good men's basketball program, it would be nice to couple that with a women's basketball program that's at least respectable. And you had that for a very brief period in the late 90s where both of them were pretty good and it felt like, yeah, this is part of the identity of being an Illinois sports fan. We got basketball covered here. That's our thing. But right now, uh, to not just be irrelevant, but to be awful, they're terrible. I mean, the, the one game that they had, the best opportunity to win was Wisconsin, who right now, Wisconsin, I believe, has one win in the conference, and you lost to them by 12. Yeah, Wisconsin's one win is against you. And it's just, you see it, and you shake your head, and you don't have necessarily an emotional attachment to it, but you don't know how much priority is being placed on that. So I guess if I were to be in a room with Josh Whitman, I'd, I'd ask the question like this what's the deal with women's basketball? Which is a very like vague question and it leads to a lot of possible answers. But it would be interesting to get from an athletic director's perspective how much of a priority they place on it. And if the thing's not making money, does that mean that they're just going to kind of ride this thing out until they have to make a move? I don't know if Nancy Faye has got a buyout. I don't know what the contract details are or if that would even be considered. But it's just puzzling to have something so awful, right? I mean, they're they're really, really bad. And we don't talk about it. And I know that part of that has to do with just the difference between interest in men's and women's basketball. That's part of it, no doubt. But it is being exacerbated by essentially 20 years where that program hasn't done a thing. And now they're worse than before. This makes the Matt Bolin era and the Jolette Law era look decent by comparison. Well, I say that. I'd have to go back and look at the records. I know it got bad under both of those. You know, I thought Matt Bolant was going to be a great hire from Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Won a ton of games up there. I think he's at Eastern now. Jolette Law, I have no idea. That was probably not a good follow-up to Teresa Grenz. Uh, and before Teresa Grenz, what was it? Kathy Lindsay, I think. So, you know, you've only had five coaches in the last 30 years. But you've really only had one good coach. And maybe I'll throw another half in there for Kathy Lindsay. I think they were decent if I recall, but I was pretty young when that was going on. Just random thought there as I see them really struggling, and you'll see it come across the Twitter timeline. And I feel a little bad for the social media person because, you know, they're trying to spin anything positive out of it. They do that trick where 
they always put Illinois score first, even if Illinois loses by 20. So we could say it's a final at the State Farm Center, Illinois 48 and Nebraska 63, which I know drives Trevor up a wall and Lon as well. Whenever you list the lower score first, it's like, no, 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 no. It's Nebraska 63, Illinois 48. Or when there's just, they have to find these tiniest little details to try to spin into, hey, this person had six rebounds tonight and we're two and 11. You know, it's an impossible job. I get it. And I'm not trying to say, ah, come on, social media person. I'm just saying it's gotten to the depths where it's comical in the worst way possible. It's a joke. And, you know, I'm not going to make it the cause du jour on the 200 level to say, well, what's the deal with women's basketball? We need to get this thing going. But that really has to come from the top. And I don't know how much interest there is in it in the first place. All right. Just random aside here on a Thursday as we close out for a little bit shorter of a solo podcast. We're going to be here Saturday for Illinois-Wisconsin. What is a big game, of course, and one that can really solidify Illinois as not just a top 10 team, but based on who's lost this week, you're looking at maybe seventh in the nation, maybe six, if you can get this win against Wisconsin. I think you do. I actually expect one of the better performances of the year against Wisconsin. And we see with this team that the better the opponent, more often than not, they show up. And I would think that going back to last year's game at the Kohl Center, they know how tough it is to play Wisconsin. And now that they have weathered the storm of the Maryland and the Ohio State losses, and they've responded well since then, and to weather the storm like they did Tuesday night, I'd like to think that there's been some character building and that this team recognizes that urgency. We talked so much about how frustrating it was to think that this team didn't get it. They didn't get that every game is like essential. You got to win most of these if you want to raise a banner or if you want to get that three or two seed in the NCAA tournament. And I hope and I think that that switch has been flipped. There's a reason why I called the podcast earlier this week, turning the corner before the Indiana game, turning the corner, because I presume they have. I'm going to be the optimist here. And I think the way Tuesday night ended, that only bodes well for this team going into Saturday and beyond. Now, who knows when the next game is going to be? I think that you would play Northwestern, and I have to go check here. If you do not play, let's see, Michigan next Thursday, then the next game for Illinois after Saturday would be Northwestern on Tuesday, February 16th. That is a long break, and I don't know if you can get a Nebraska or Michigan State makeup in there because their schedules are pretty loaded. Nebraska's got to play a bunch of games. But that would be another long layoff. But here's the good news. Illinois had that before. They did just fine against Iowa. So the rust factor, I'm not too worried about as long as we keep things clean down here with COVID-19. They can do the simulated games, all that stuff. Um, But yeah, Saturday's big, not just because it's Wisconsin, but because who knows when the next game's going to be. Oh, COVID-19. It's just never ending, right? Uh, Before we go, got to remind you, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. Custom zones, any topping you want. Some of their favorites like the Maui Wowie, the buffer zone. You can order online at dpdoe.com and use coupon code Mike for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. And with the terrible weather coming up next week and starting this weekend, stay home, stay warm. Let them bring the calzone to you. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. dpdoe.com, use coupon code Mike for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. 
Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order. Vintage inspired Alani t shirts and sweatshirts. Get your lucky shirt today at fourthandkirby.com. Rector Construction, Roofing, Crawl Space, Projects Big and Small. They serve Central Illinois. These guys are terrific. And they're online at rectorconstruction.com. As we get into the spring, you need a construction project done. That is Rector Construction. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian will take care of you. Great State Farm prices and amazing personalized service. Brianismyguy.com. For Lana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, we will be back Saturday for a second half postgame pod, second half in postgame with Trevor and Isaac, and hopefully a fun one. I hope it's a celebratory pod. I'm feeling good about it. And I think Illini fans, you should feel good that this team has, in fact, turned a corner of sorts. And I'm saying it again, just for documentation, they will lose one more regular season game this year. That's it. One. 14-4 and in the conference if they don't make up any games. That'd be pretty remarkable, and they can do it. And I think that Iowa win and Tuesday night, that's going to propel them into where they need to go for this. All right, we got to get out of here. This is Decadence, Out of Your Head, from our latest album, Fever Dreams. You can listen to it anywhere music is streaming. But for now, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you Saturday. Big game. It is the 200 level. Big game.